This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. So I'm kind of a weirdo about Lent in that not only do I like it, but I kind of like to make it hard on purpose. Most normal people don't think of Lent as something to look forward to, and most normal people begrudgingly fast from something knowing they won't enjoy fasting. That is because these people are normal and I'm weird. And I've long wondered why I'm this way about Lent, and I think it's because I'm all too aware of my shortcomings, and yet I far too often see Lent as something that it's not. Lent isn't a boot camp or a test given by God to prove our worth, or as some naive news media folks put it not too long ago, Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. Lent, as part of the broader liturgical calendar of the church, is a gift to us, like Advent or Christmas or Easter. Lent is a season for our own good, and yet it's not a tool to wield for our own personal goal setting or accomplishments. I'll get into that more in just a minute. Well, if you remember from the previous two episodes here on Drink, this spring we're doing something a little different around here. Each month has a theme under the broader idea of rootedness, which I talked about last time. And for each theme, there will be roughly two episodes and sometimes more. One with me sharing a few of my thoughts on the theme, and then another with me chatting with someone smart about that theme. So last month, I introduced the idea of rootedness, where we plant ourselves where we're supposed to be. Physically and geographically, yes, but also mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. We settle into who we're meant to be and do our best to live that out well in our mostly small lives. It's not easy to do with our instant connectedness to literally anywhere in the world about any topic. When the world asks us to care about wars on the other side of the planet or big major cultural issues that brush broadly over big swaths of our culture, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But investing too much time and energy in caring about those things can ultimately take us away from the things we have more influence over, our families, our neighborhoods, our friendships. And it gives us this false sense of doing something while ultimately neglecting the things we're truly called to do in our real worlds, our actual communities, and our backyards and living rooms. Cultivating a foundation of rootedness is key to not only finding contentment where we are, but using our time and our energy well where we are. So with that as a foundational idea for the spring, I want to move further into the next layer, flourishing. What does it look like to flourish? Well, the word means to grow well or to thrive. And we know what this looks like often by way of what it doesn't look like. Like when we're perhaps stagnant in our own growth or we're in survival mode versus actual thriving. Well, why is this? So to keep with this plant analogy, rootedness is essential to flourishing. If a plant doesn't have strong roots, it won't grow well. And the same is true with us. We have to cultivate strong roots in order to thrive on top of the soil where we can see how we're blooming. But I'm also here to make the case that I think one of the chief monsters getting the way of our flourishing is Asadia, which has the delightfully descriptive nickname, the Noonday Devil. And I promise this ties in perfectly with Lent, so just hold tight here. What is Asadia? Well, there are a number of ways to define it, but to keep things at an understandable level, I'll get to the ones that help me understand this idea. And plus, in the next episode, we're really going to unpack Asadia more philosophically. Well, the etymology of the word comes from the Greek for negligence or lack of care. 
and it conveys a sort of listlessness or not caring about one's condition in the world. It's connected with the vice of sloth, but it's a spiritual sloth because asadia is inward. In fact, you could be insanely busy or a workout king or queen at the gym or the CEO of a high-level Fortune 500 company and struggle deeply with asadia. It's a disenchantment with the challenges of life to the point where our interior being isn't interested in rising up to meet those challenges. It's sometimes even an annoyance at our calling to rise up and become better people. One of my favorite go-to shorthand definitions of asadia is, it's a sadness that good things are hard. Oof. It's a state of being where you acknowledge that good things are hard, but you don't really want to deal with all the effort it takes to earn the reward of said good things. Now, sometimes this is connected to depression, and as someone who's been diagnosed with that and still occasionally sees it raise its ugly head in my life, there's definitely a correlation. But it's not just depression, because it's also this dearth of concern about one's ongoing salvation and sanctification. It's a relaxation of the soul as a deficit of spiritual energy. Asadia is a genuine sadness or indifference about the participation in the life of God. Its nickname, the Noonday Devil, was coined by desert fathers and mothers because as part of their daily routine around noon, they would return to their huts or caves to pray, and the oppressive heat in the desert at noon, alongside the monotony of sitting still and praying, made it really difficult for them to concentrate and eventually care about the interior life that's made deeper through prayer. Their thoughts would wander to the things they could be doing as a temptation to productivity as definition of a worthwhile day. And if that doesn't sound familiar in our modern world, I don't know what does. In some ways, the noonday devil is real because there's something about that post-lunch fatigue, that blah time that can really distract us from what we otherwise dedicate ourselves to gung-ho earlier in the morning. But asadia can hit us at any time of the day or even for entire seasons when pusillanimity, which is lack of courage or smallness of soul, wages war against our call for magnanimity or being full of courage or greatness of soul. Cardinal Ratzinger, who was later Pope Benedict XVI, said that, quote, the nature of Asadia is the flight from God, the wish to be alone with oneself in one's finiteness and to not be disturbed by the presence of God, end quote. Asadia is opposed to faith, hope, and charity, the theological virtues, because it crushes our desire for unity with God, our confidence that we can succeed in our vocation to be children of God, and our trust that we are loved. Overall, Asadia weighs on us with this feeling of endless time and finitude, that the drudgery of the day, day after day, is all there is, and that there is no point to this drudgery. And it can be on display in our lives in all sorts of ways, through an outward manifestation of sloth, where we sit on the couch and binge too much TV or social media, or when we sleep in too much or eat too much junk food. But asadia can also manifest itself as workaholism or a hyper-focus on productivity, where we push down the thoughts of, what am I really here for? What is life all about? With long to-do lists, patting ourselves on the back for getting a lot done or being super disciplined, or generally channeling all our energy on getting stuff done as the definition of a good day. 
And I personally see both tendencies in myself and in the culture around us. So how do we fight Asadia? How do we combat this noonday devil? Well, we'll get into that more in the next episode, but I want to unpack a few practical thoughts. And this is where I'm going to get into tying it up with Lent. Honestly, the only real way I've successfully gone to battle with any sort of spiritual apathy is to do the exact opposite thing I feel like doing in the moment. If Asadia is a sadness that good things are hard, we can't wait until we feel happy that good things are hard. I mean, at least I can't. I'm too unpredictable and fickle for anything like that. I have to do the hard thing, even though it's so freaking hard. Just like I tell my students and my kids all the time, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than it is to think your way into a new way of acting. That means I do the hard thing anyway, and then I do it again and again and again. Is it easy? Heck no. I mean, even technically easy things like turning off Netflix is hard when the noonday devil rears its ugly head. So no, it's not easy. Because Asadia tempts us with the lie that we can't do the things God has called us to do, the weapon we got to use is basically the one that says, oh yeah, bet. It's like one of my therapists told me back when I was first diagnosed with depression about 16 plus years ago now. That the antidote to sitting in my chair is to get out of my chair and to go for a walk. I then argue, but did you just hear me? My depression is making it so that I cannot get out of my chair. And he would say, yes, I heard, but the prescription is to get out of your chair anyway. (laughs) I found that really annoying. So my first goal was a daily walk. That was it. And yet it was so hard. But I had to show myself that I could do it, that it was not impossible. And this is what we need to do with Asadia on an inward level. We need to remind our souls that our call to spiritual greatness is achievable because God has said it is so. Sometimes this looks like doing something outward because we are body-soul composites, and we often need our bodies to tell our souls true things until we believe them. So fighting Asadia for you could look like a daily walk. It could be intentionally taking the farthest parking spot from the store. It could look like daily making your bed or standing at your desk instead of sitting or taking lukewarm versus hot showers or just getting up earlier and not hitting the snooze button. It could also be something interior that others may not see, you know, a choice to give thanks when you're tempted to complain or to pray instead of doom scroll. But whatever it is, fighting Asadia in the modern world almost always looks like doing the little things you don't feel like doing and not waiting until you feel like doing them. And yes, it's weird to think that something like standing at your desk could lead to a deeper inward greatness, but it does. And so Lent is upon us. I know this season is way older than our modernish tradition of setting New Year's resolutions, but I find it a nice sort of coincidence that Lent is typically not too far into the new year when we're looking square in the face of all those goals or intentions we're already either failing at or have been completely forgotten already. As I mentioned, Lent isn't a boot camp for goal setting. It's a season of penance and repentance by way of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. 
But in choosing something deliberate and specific to fast from in connection with where we are in our spiritual lives, we are in some ways embarking on a spiritual boot camp during these six weeks. Lent is an invitation to move further up and further in toward our true calling of virtue. And during this season, we can practice that daily through little means of fasting. Now, a quick reminder that fasting doesn't always mean food. It can mean food in a particular way, like a certain meal or sugar, caffeine, alcohol, meat, and the like. But there's all sorts of things we could fast from. Social media or screens or phones come to mind, or our pillow when we sleep, or podcasts or some other preferred media of choice. We can also fast from not doing something, which looks like adding something. So laziness fought with daily movement or waking up earlier, a lack of gratitude fought by daily gratitude. You know, you get the gist. All these ideas can be found with a quick Google search. There's plenty out there. But to connect the season of Lent with this month's topic of Asadia, I would argue that a well-chosen Lenten fast could be a great weapon to fight the noonday devil, which is honestly pretty prevalent this time of year. It, it happens any time of year, but I would argue kind of these late doldrums of winter, the noonday devil shows up when we least expect it. But a Lenten fast could be a great weapon to fight this asedia because fasting forces us to place our inward apathy fully in the arms of Christ, who will do our fighting for us through our participation. And will we fail at this? Oh yeah, absolutely. Lent isn't about getting things right. It's actually about coming to terms with our own utter dependency on the Holy Spirit and our ridiculous finite humanity's ability to get in the way. It's about recognizing that we are called to magnanimity, but we cannot do so on our own. Our flourishing happens with rootedness, but a rootedness in good soil, full of the nutrients we need to grow well and thrive. And those ingredients aren't just made up with our own human ingenuity. They come from the maker of everything who gives us all we need for life. Now, this is the part where I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I have indeed written a book for Lent, and it's called Bitter and Sweet, which unpacks the seven vices and their corresponding virtues over the six and a half weeks of Lent and how they play out in our lives. If you feel the need for some handholding during this long season, Bitter and Sweet might be just the thing for you. And I've also got a gratitude journal, which dovetails quite beautifully with Lent. It helps you establish good morning and evening bookends using the old practice of daily examine as a form of prayer with gratitude at the heart of it. I'll put links to both those books in the show notes of this episode. And at the time this first episode goes out, Lent begins in just a few days on Ash Wednesday. So use those upcoming days to ruminate over what might be a good fast for you from this season as a means of combating your noonday devil. What might you be called to let go of? Or what might you be called to add? In what way does Asadia have a stronghold in your life? I'm definitely praying about this too. And in my tendency to do too much for Lent, treating it as my own personal Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge, I think I hear God telling me the specific thing I'll be fasting from. I didn't see it coming, and it's something I haven't fasted from before, but I think it might be just the weapon I need to fight my noonday devil. I'm grateful for the gift of Lent, as challenging as it is to stare at my own human inadequacy. And I'm really, really grateful I'm not left in this life to my own devices. What a mess that would be for all of us. So 
I'll leave you with two of my favorite quotes from two beloved philosophers. First, we've got Pope Benedict XVI again and his well-known thought on combating Asadia. He says, the world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. And the second philosopher is a one Samwise Gamgee, who told Frodo this. It's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad has happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. I know now folks in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. So let's let our lives tell the good story of fighting for that which is worth fighting for. Let's not let Asadia win our souls. I'll be back here soon with an episode where I'm chatting with a new friend about all of this, and I think you'll really like it. In the meantime, you can find me and all my stuff at tishoxenwriter.com, especially my newsletter, The Commonplace, where I hang out mostly when I'm on the internet. I send out a weekly email called Five Quick Things that's free for everybody, but for paying subscribers, I also send out writing I don't publish anywhere else, monthly book chats, monthly gratitude chats, and more. Everything in The Commonplace is about pointing us to remember that the world is full of beauty, goodness, and truth, even now in our current world. We just need the eyes to see and the reminders from each other to do this. If this sounds up your alley, there's a link in the show notes of this episode. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And talking is by me, Tish Oxenreiter. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you again here soon.